Lord a hand. We honour you, Jesus. We give you praise. We sing hallelujah to you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. You can take your seats. I'm also here with Nina, who is my beautiful wife and with whom I couldn't do anything if she wasn't with me. So it's great to be here in Mount Barker. And it is nice to actually wear two levels of clothes. Right? Like, it's a new experience for me. In Brisbane, you very rarely have to wear more than... And I see you all wearing, like, T-shirts, and it's like, what's going on? It's freezing. No, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's nice. Do you notice I did bring Queensland weather with me yesterday? So uh, you can thank me for that later. But uh, it, I'm actually an Adelaide uh, person. I grew up in Adelaide. I was here for 48 years, right? And uh, so I used to come up to Mount Barker all the time to play golf. And, uh, yeah, the golf club there, I remember there because someone hit me with a golf ball there once and I heard a real lot. And, uh, but it was, I, I, so I'm an Adelaide person and I'm only really joshing around with you with the, with the weather. I actually love it, right? It's fantastic. It's too humid in Brisbane, right? So, uh, <laughs> right, so it's just great to, to, great to be here. I see you guys are uh, in transition, and with transition, there comes a little bit of like, oh, what, what's going on? And, and what about this? Can I trust this? And, and all these different things. There's many, many questions. And that's why I think it is good for you to go along to that fortnightly meeting with uh, Josh. And, because it actually teaches you a little bit about who they are. And once you understand who they are, and let me tell you, they are great people. They're a great couple and it's a great church. And there's naturally nothing to be fearful of, but if you don't know, you don't know. And so it's a good thing to just go along to that, ask the questions, kind of get their heart, and uh, you'll find that all the things you were a little bit nervous of, there was no need to be nervous of. We actually, at our church in uh, Brisbane, we were like a church, and then someone uh, came and spoke to us about taking on their church. They were actually moving back to uh, uh, England. And so we thought and talked and prayed and did all the different things. And then we took on another congregation. And we did exactly the same. We just went and we did a kind of fortnightly, weekly kind of discipleship meeting with all the leaders, with anyone who wanted to come to the church so they could come and trust us. And if you don't really trust the leader, then you always kind of, why are they doing that? And I don't understand this. But when you can just have that opportunity to speak and to ask and to kind of see what someone's like, then uh, people love it. And to be honest, it's just been a real blessing for everyone. You know, that church we had always struggled to really break 100 or get to 100 and then come back down to 50, 60 and then go back up to 100. And that is now regularly getting close to 200 people every Sunday, you know, because God has just blessed and, and, and it's been good. And that's like, uh, was it two years now? So that's two years later. So, uh, you, you know, I want to tell you, don't be frightened. Don't be scared. And also, too, just I, I can tell you, Pastor Jonathan Benithan was with us uh, for, you know, a lot of that time and really was the person who did, I, I was kind of like the figurehead and uh, he was the one who did all the work. And uh, which is Pastor Jonathan's true to a T. He's just one of the hardest workers you ever, ever have. And so, you are blessed to have great pastors and this transition, though it's a little bit nervy for you right now, it's just going to be great and you'll be really, really happy. So uh, we were at one church for many years. I was at Paradise for 28 years in ministry there for, I don't know, 16 years, 16 years. Nina was on staff there for 
for many, many years. We didn't really want to go to another church, but God called us out. We were like uh, 28-year-old kids in our parents' home. The thing that we used to was good keeping us safe when we were 16, all of a sudden became a bit of a restriction when you're 28, right? And uh, so it was time to leave, and we moved to Queensland. We uh, took on a church. It was called Albany Hills Christian Church. It's now called Emerge Church. And uh, it's in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. And if you know uh, Brisbane at all, uh, it's in a near Chermside Shopping Centre, which is Australia's largest Westfield. So my kids and my wife are very happy, right? It's Australia's largest Westfield. I try and stay away from there. But my kids and my wife, they like it. I'm glad I have a great wife who just likes to window shop. Not actually shop. And I thank God for that. We didn't get a $1,300 bill because I would have a heart attack as well. Right? So, uh, yeah. So, uh, we've been there now for eight years. And God has just essentially just, just blessed us. And we started with about, you know, 200 people. And now we're just kind of like growing by about 100 people every year. And that's how I think God moves. He just kind of like just line upon line, precept upon precept. And uh, so, we've been blessed. And that's a little bit of our story. So uh, we're here because Nina's father turned 90 yesterday. Oh, and we had a great party for him. And uh, it was just wonderful. So all my family are here. And it's just, uh, I just love coming back to Adelaide. And yeah, it's just great. So it's good to be here. Now, I saw your kind of slogan, for want of a better word. Uh, and it said, encounter follows encounter. And I really like that. I might even steal that somewhere, right? So I don't think I saw a TM next to it, right? So, uh, right? so, so I might even take that because I actually like that because I think what a great sort of, yeah, quickly change the slide, right? But, uh, but, but uh, I, I, I like the idea of that because that's what our Christian walk should actually be. It should be an encounter which follows an encounter. You meet Jesus and then you continually have encounters with God so it doesn't become something that's a history. It becomes something that is your story. And so uh, I just think it's a a wonderful thing. And this morning I'm going to pray and believe that we'll have an encounter with Jesus here this morning. You're going to believe with me? So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are in this place and that you want to encounter your people, Lord God. Father, you've been thinking about this meeting. This meeting is important to you. Jesus, you are glad to be here. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are going to see a manifestation of God in this house today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about taking a step of faith. Uh, I'm going to pray for people at the end of the meeting. We're going to believe that God is going to touch people today. So I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith today, not a leap of faith. A step of faith is something where, yeah, it's a bit nervy, but you know that Jesus is there. A leap of faith is where you just jump and say, God, you better catch me, right? And I'm not sure that's always wise. I think God asks us to take steps of faith, not a leap of faith. So we're going to have a look uh, at Mark 5, at a story of Jesus, and then we're just going to have a look at what the some just some truths out of that. So if you've got your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he's by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, look at that, synagogue leaders named Jairus, which means God enlightened, came. 
When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered. That will be truth. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Has anyone ever been in a situation like that? Instead of it getting better, it grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crown and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went into and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Ha! Come on, what are you talking about? After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Taliath akum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this And he told them to give her something to eat. What a great story. We would know that story. We would have heard of that story. And this morning, I just want to have a look at some truths from that story. And then I want to pray for people that God could do something in your life and that we would see miracles uh, this morning. This passage tells the story of two people. They are from very different stations of life but both come to Jesus out of desperation. If you notice, it's when you're desperate that we often come to God. Circumstance, desperate circumstance. Getting a $1,300 electric bill is going to make me want to come to God. Right? Let me tell you, I would come to God very quickly and my teenage sons and say, what are you doing in the... <laughs> right? But uh, maybe something. But, you know, it's not the mundane... It's not the average, it's not the day-to-day that generally sends us to Jesus. It's the desperate. You know, some people this morning are praying to God on the planet today, are praying to God for water. I'm not. 
I just had a shower. I went in the room. I turned it on. I went to the tap. I, I, drank, I brushed my teeth, right? I didn't think about it. I didn't pray, God, let water please come out, right? Like, I just went and did that. That's our reality. I don't need to come to Jesus. I don't need to come to Jesus to, to, to get a car to drive here today. It's not my need. It's not something that I'm desperate for. People in other places around the world and maybe at different times of your life, you may need to pray for those things. But right now, the mundane isn't sending us to Jesus. You know, faith comes in, desperation comes in when man's ability stops being able to help you. Where you're at the point of human limitation. You don't need to actually believe God for what you can do for yourself. But for what you can't do for yourself, you need to come to God. And in this story, we have two people with an issue, with a problem that man cannot fix. That their human limitation says there is no answer to this. And so they desperately come to God. One is a prominent man. He's Jairus, the synagogue ruler. His name actually means God enlightens. And so we have this man who God has enlightened and said, the way out of your situation is to go to Jesus. Now for him, his whole reputation is on the line. See, he was the leader of the synagogue. Now a synagogue was not the main temple where they did sacrifices. The synagogue was more like a local church where there were some of the uh, traditions of faith, where, where people came to study the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They held services and they did the, the daily and weekly practices of the Jewish faith. But to do their main sacrifices, they would need to go to the main temple, which is in Jerusalem. So they, he was a, a prominent man, but he was in a desperate situation. Though knowledgeable, he knew everything of the, of the Scripture, Though of means, he would have been someone who, who was quite well off in that society. He was in a type of trouble that those things couldn't do anything to help him. He needed someone else. His 12-year-old daughter was dying and there's nothing he can do. And he didn't care who saw him. He would have had to humble himself put aside his reputation as a leader of the people and go and see Jesus, who many of the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees were saying was a false person, was saying and was trying to, 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 to come against him. He had a reputation to hold on to, but in light of his desperate situation, he decided, no, I'm going to go to Jesus anyway. And he publicly, it tells us, that there's a great crowd that are following Jesus. So publicly, he falls at Jesus' feet and cries out his issue, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. If you think about it, Pharisees and Sadducees, synagogue rulers, weren't doing that in the day. Right? Generally, Pharisees are actually trying to catch Jesus out. They're trying to trick him. They're, they're accusing him of things. They're plotting against him. You know, one Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to him, but he comes to him in the middle of the night so that no one can see him. He's trying to hide the fact that he's seeking after Jesus. And that was the general thing. I can't be seen with Jesus. 
I can't be seen going to Jesus because I've got a reputation to uphold. I can't be seen as someone who's desperate, someone who's needy. I've got to be seen as someone who's in control. I can't go to Jesus. But this man's situation says, I I don't care who sees me. I'm going to fall at Jesus' feet because I know God has enlightened me that Jesus is the one who is going to help me. You know, we have our federal member of parliament, Peter Dutton. You'd all know about him. So it would be the similar like Peter Dutton coming to my church and throwing himself at my feet. Now, lately, you should have probably done that. But, uh, you know, it was a... It was, yeah. But Jairus had faith. He was able, because of his faith, to do a desperate act. And that's the important part to take note of. Listen to what he says. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. It was this faith. He came to Jesus and said, if you put your hands on her, she will be healed and live. It wasn't his prominent position. It wasn't like, oh, you're someone of society, I better go with you. It wasn't the fact that Jesus could be richly rewarded by healing, right? Like it wasn't any of those things. It was the faith that Jairus showed that made Jesus go with him. And how you approach God actually helps God do something in your life. Are you approaching in faith with this sense God is going to do something. So Jesus goes with him. Then all the people are following. They follow. They know that Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's a a person of note. He's someone that that the people know. And so they want to see what's going on. They probably understand and know that his daughter's sick. He's someone that everyone knows. So they are following, going to Jairus' house, wondering, kind of spectating. I wonder what Jesus is going to do now. So while they are walking to Jairus' house, the second person of the story enters. We see a woman with an issue. It's not just a little issue. We all have issues. But this is a 12-year-long issue. It's a long-term issue. It's not a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or even a couple of years. This is a 12-year problem. You know, the thing is, the longer any issue you have goes on, the more isolating and the more it takes from you. See, if you go through something, you'll have a few people that will stick with you. You When it first comes, a lot of people, what can I do? What can I help? How can I be of service? What can I do? And, you know, a lot of people come around. And then as it goes longer, some people stop coming around as much. And then it goes longer, and some more people drop off. And then it goes longer, and eventually you're completely isolated because people don't know what to do with you. They've prayed for you, they've helped you, they've served you, and they don't know what to do with you anymore. And so they kind of just isolate. They they might pray for you in a distance. They might think about you every now and again. But the longer an issue goes along, the more isolated you become. For this lady, it's even worse. Because the Mosaic law specified that a woman who had an issue longer than seven days, that all of, the, all of her days were then considered unclean and that she must be treated as unclean. So anything she touched, 
Anything that she came into contact with was also unclean. So she's been put apart, separated, isolated for for 12 years. If she'd been married, her husband's long gone. Like he would have divorced her a long time ago. So she's isolated from there because she can't touch her husband. She wouldn't have been able to care for her own children. Right? She wouldn't have been able to hug her own kids. Because in hugging her own children, she makes them unclean. And so she's like completely isolated. She's gone to doctors and all they've done is nothing. They've just taken her money. So now she hasn't even got. So she's probably someone of means. Because if you can pay doctor's bills for 12 years, that means you've got some means. So she's lost everything. She wouldn't have been able to go to church or temple or synagogue. She's been completely isolated by her long-term issues. It's important to remember that when you think about it, she's so desperate, she's just going to go out in the crowd. And the crowd that she's with are all there because Jesus is going to heal Jairus' daughter. Who's Jairus? Jairus is the synagogue leader, the very one making sure that unclean people like her aren't in the crowd. And if she's had this issue for 12 years and she's been going to doctors, then there's a very high likelihood that Jairus even knows, hey, what's that woman doing here? Why is she out? Why is she here? Get away from her. Let's keep her away. So she has to overcome not just the fear of crowds, the fact that she's been isolated, but now the very person who's kind of the one who's going to judge her is the one that everyone is gathering around because he's with Jesus. She had nothing. She's gaunt. Losing blood takes away your strength. She had no money. You know, long-term issues are such thieves of everything, and she suffered much. Now, at the time, there was a rabbi in Jerusalem. His name was Rabbi Jokinen, and he was a tannerman. Now, a tannerman was like a Jewish teacher. So the Jews have three things that they would actually like listen to. There was the, uh, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. There was the Talmud, which was the written kind of traditions of the Jewish faith. And there was the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was the oral traditions of the Jewish faith. So things like how you washed your hands and, and all those different things were, were, were decided on by the Tanaman. So there was a Tanaman there. His name was Rabbi Jochen. And they had a procedure that they would do for women who had an issue of blood. And when I read this out to you, you're going to understand why this woman suffered much. So this is what Rabbi uh, Jochenim, who was a tenement at the time, or Jesus' time, a contemporary of Jesus, this is what he said. Take gum of Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortentus. Sounds like a bit of crocus myself, right? The weight of a zuzi each, let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. But if this fails, take of Persian onions, nine logs, boil them in wine, Give it to her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this fail, set her in a place where two ways meet, 
let her hold a cup of wine in her hand and let someone come up behind her and affront her and say, arise from thy flux. Now you think about that. Like, you're like, hey, go stand over here, lady. I know you've got an issue, but like, stand over here. And while someone's tricking her to stand over here, someone else is like, <laughs> sneaking up behind her, grabs her, arise from thy flux. And what, what, it's like, you know, the cure of hiccups or something, you know, like, or you frighten someone and the hiccups goes. Well, this is what it's actually saying, isn't it? Affright her and say, arise. But should this do no good? Imagine that, that wouldn't do no good, right? Take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus and a handful of fenugreek. Let these be boiled and given her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. But should this also flail, dig seven trenches, burn in them some cuttings of vines not yet circumcised, which means vines not four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her be led from this trench and set down over that and let her be removed from that and set over another, and in each removal say to her, Arise from thy flux. Yes, this woman had suffered a lot. Sounds to me they're just trying to get her drunk, so she's going to forget her suffering. Now she goes out in the crowd because she has faith. It was the faith that sent her out. Like it was faith that Jesus could heal Jairus' daughter that sent him out. It was the faith of this woman that sends her out. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crown and touched his clothes because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Faith overcame fear. Faith overcame her physical inadequacies. Faith overcame her cynicism. Think of all the different things she's tried. And immediately, faith overcomes her pride and she is healed. As soon as she touches the hem of his garment, she is healed. Jesus turns around. And, and, and this is amazing because this miracle happens without Jesus' knowledge. He has got no idea about this. This happens around him, not because of him. He's just the conduit between God and this lady. And that's why I actually love this miracle the most out of all of Jesus. Because people always ask you, in getting a miracle, how much is God and how much is man? Right? How much is man's part? How much is God's part? Well, let me tell you, it's all God. Because there is no miracle without the power of Jesus, without the power of God. God comes. So it's all God. She couldn't have been healed. She'd done everything. She'd followed all the rules of the Tatman. She'd gone to many doctors. She'd done everything. She doesn't get healed. She touches Jesus' garment. She's healed. But I want to tell you, it's all man. Because if she doesn't reach out, if she decides to stay at home that day, if she doesn't press through the crowd, if she doesn't overcome all of her many issues that she has to kind of fight with to actually go and do that, there is no miracle. So whose is it? When we're getting a miracle, is it God? Is it man? I want to tell you, it just shows it's all God and it's all man. God does his part, we do our part, and then a miracle happens. That's the walk of faith. And that's why we take a step of faith 
it's that happy scare. If you actually knew the outcome, then it wouldn't be faith anymore. You actually have to take that step. When Peter stepped out of the boat onto that water, he did it at the command of Jesus. But as he's putting his foot on that water, until it actually takes his weight, it's a step of faith. And that's what we have to do. We have to overcome the different biases, thoughts, fears, and come and take that step of faith. But what about Jairus? He's been pleading, and he finally got Jesus to come with him, to come and heal his daughter, and, his, and, his, and there's an urgent situation, and now some unclean woman, who shouldn't have even have been out in public anyway, has touched Jesus, and like he's kind of like talking to her. Come on, Jesus. She's just an unclean woman. She didn't even be out here. She got a healing. Let's go. You know, I, I love Jairus because he, he doesn't get all uptight about it. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. Don't you hate it when God does a miracle for someone else when you feel like you're much more deserving of that miracle and your situation is a whole lot more? She's been waiting 12 years. My daughter's dying. Do you, do you understand? Like, it, it's kind of... If you're in your situation, it's not fair that someone else kind of gets blessed or focused on. It just seems horrible. I prayed so hard for this thing to happen, yet Mary, yet John, something happened for them. You know, I had a bill. I got into the thing and it went up to $1,600, right? Like, you know what? It's a test of faith. It's a test of faith. But God's delay is never God's denial. And if God is delaying a miracle, it's because he's got something else in mind. Right? When, when God, when there's faithfulness and barrenness, there's a John the Baptist, there's a Samuel the prophet that God is bringing into your future. If God is doing something, and what we realize, we'll show you in just a moment, is that God is setting this whole thing up and he's going to be very thankful in a moment that this lady actually touched Jesus. He's going to be very thankful for that. See, I actually think that we see right here what Jairus is made of. He doesn't get mad. Now, I want to tell you, I've met people in authority. I've met people who are bosses, people who are used to authority. When things don't go their way, when someone else gets it, many men of authority will actually get upset. They'll go into the situation and try and take control. They'll, they'll, he doesn't demean the woman. He, he, he doesn't rebuke Jesus. He doesn't try and intervene in any way. And I actually think that's remarkable when you know that he's a man of authority. But then the worst happens. The delay in seeing the woman with the issue of blood get healed, the commotion that happens, Jesus talking with her, she tells the whole story to everyone. I was unclean, I actually touched you and now I got my miracle, right? It, is, it has resulted in Jesus not getting to Jairus' house quick enough and now the girl is dead. My opportunity for a miracle is gone. It's too late. I was believing that you could heal her, but she's dead now. 
And even the people are like telling Jairus, don't bother him anymore. Don't bury the teacher. And it's something, don't bury the, don't bother the rabbi any longer. Don't do that. Jairus must have been heartbroken. He must have been shattered. But he had hope. And that's the worst thing when your hope is taken away. Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to heal my daughter. And all of a sudden my daughter's dead because he's been spending time with this person over here. I missed out on my miracle. My hope's gone. She's dead. He's not asking for him to come and raise her from the dead. He's saying, heal me. Heal Heal my daughter. And all of a sudden the opportunity for a miracle is gone. And we've all been in a place where our opportunity for the miracle is gone. The way that we see it, 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 it can't happen anymore. It can't come to pass any longer. And then Jesus says these words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Say it with me this morning. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Say it again. Don't be afraid. Just believe. If you need something from God this morning, don't be afraid. Just believe. That's what God is actually looking for. That's what faith is. It's a response of belief. When everyone says you should be afraid, when the circumstances are shouting you should be afraid, there's something in your spirit that says don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I'm going to believe no matter what. There's an old saying that fear knocks on the door, faith answers and no one's there. So what do you do with your fear? Because it will determine what happens with your miracle. It's funny, every faith step, every, every step you have to take includes a thing of faith, but it's also an overcoming of fear step. You actually overcome. You have to actually ask yourself, is God really in it if there's not a sense of fear that you have to overcome? Where fear and faith aren't having a fight. Right? Because faith comes in when fear tells you that there's another way and that something negative can happen. And you have to say, no, I'm going to believe rather than take on what I fear. I'm going to believe that God's going to do something rather than take on what the circumstances are telling me. Peter had to step out in a storm when he walked on the water. And this is where I reckon Jesus has a leap of joy in his heart. When he hears that Jairus' daughter is dead, I can just imagine him looking up to heaven and having a little smirk with his father in heaven going, oh, I see what you're up to. I think he's, ah. I can just see God, Jesus kind of go, you got it again. You are smart. You are smart. Right? Like I can just see, because God is a genius. I want to just, just, just think about this, right? Jesus is going to Jairus' house. The daughter dies. He's a rabbi, and he's with the synagogue ruler. He's got to keep all the rules of what a synagogue ruler and what a rabbi, a teacher, would be having to follow. One of the things is that he can't be with a dead body. He can't go near a dead body. 
he's made unclean by the fact that he's with a dead body. So he would never have been able to go in and do the miracle. What happens, this woman with an issue of blood who's unclean comes along, touches Jesus, she's healed. Jesus gets her to tell the whole story in front of everyone. I had an issue of blood, I was unclean, I've touched the rabbi, I've now made him unclean. Because he's been made unclean, he can now go into that room with the dead body and speak to it, touch her and raise her from the dead. He could never have gone in that room if he wasn't unclean in the first place. And so we've got to see that in God's delay, there's always a plan. When God does seemingly something that we can't understand, God is still in the room and he's still wanting to do something great on your behalf. And so we've got to understand it's just a fantastic miracle. He's been made unclean because Jesus is going to have to touch his dead body. He gets rid of all the people who are negative of faith. He tells them, you can go now. Right? And, it, and it's very interesting because you don't want people who are going to be, you know, have you ever had to be praying for someone when the unsaved are watching? Right? You really kind of get your prayer just right. You know, does this sound just perfect? Does it, because you're not just, you know, like if you're praying in front of a group, touch him, Lord, get out of him, be healed. Right? When you're praying to unsaved, Lord, let the blessing come. Touch them today, Lord. If it's your will, please do a miracle. There's a whole different attitude because you start to think, what are people thinking? I don't want people who are negative. This is too hard. She's dead. Laughing, right, as they were, laughing. You need to be with people who are going to stand with you. Going to with you. And then what happens is we see that faith overcomes, triumphs, and the girl is healed. You know, I want the musos to come and we're going to pray in just a moment. Excuse me. This story is about two people, Jairus and the woman with an issue, 12-year-old issue. Two opposite people. But they meet at the same place. The Bible tells us that both of them fall at the feet of Jesus. Jairus was a leading Jewish man. She was an anonymous woman. Never mentioned, never spoken of. The Bible doesn't tell us her name. She's got no prestige. She has no resources. He's the synagogue leader, so he's always in worship. She has an affliction that keeps her from worship. Jesus, Jairus came pleading for his daughter. The woman came with a need of her own. The girl, she'd been healthy for 12 years. The woman had her issue for 12 years. Jesus' need, Jairus' need was public. Everyone knew it. The woman's need was private. Only Jesus understood it. Jairus had to humble herself. Humble himself. The woman needed to lift herself up. Both Jairus and the woman trusted Christ, trusted Jesus, and he met their needs. This morning, I want you to come 
and we're going to pray for you. Whatever need you have, Jesus is here. And the thing is, it will take a step of faith. I can pray a mass prayer. It's not actually, you know, that it's more holy here than it is in your seat. Right? It's not like I can only move here, the Lord says. Can't, sorry, you're too far away. Right? That, that's not what it's about. But it's about your response. It's about you saying, okay, I'm going to get out of my chair and I'm going to come. And I know that someone might see me and they might wonder, what is she going up there for? Why is she going there? But like Jairus, you just put away that reputation. Or it might be that you just got this need and, and you feel kind of like unworthy, but I'm going to come anyway. So right now, from your seat, if you have a need this morning, I want you to come. I want you to come and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that God is going to do miracles. I'm now going to take a mint in my mouth so that if you, you won't get slain by my breath, it'll be the power of the Lord. But I'm going to believe that God is going to do miracles in this place. And so why don't you stand and if you could sing maybe just a, a worship song. And let's have an attitude of faith in this place. You know, you would be people who stand and worship and, and kind of get behind these people who have come and humbled themselves and come to Jesus this morning believing that God is going to do something in their life. I'm going to ask if you could just take it away, Haley, and uh, we're just going to kind of start to pray. And we're going to believe that God is going to do miracles. Uh, it'll be just wonderful. Thank you.